across a couple tees. Uh, on the table outside is the Sunday p.m. Uh, time survey thingy, the last one that is on the table. Uh, the men will have a meeting next Sunday evening, and so we'll discuss that then for the previous time, I suppose. Uh, so the sheet out there says 4 or 4.30, uh, so the Sunday p.m. Uh, thing out there. Does that not make any sense? Next Sunday, because next Sunday is our quarterly meeting. Next Sunday is the quarterly meeting. Yeah. Good thing we dotted some I's and we crossed some T's, right? So, nevertheless, the sheet is out there in front of the survey, PM, the PM survey box. So just fill it out and drop it in there uh, by next Sunday, I guess next Sunday morning, because we usually tell in the afternoon. Uh, on that Sunday. All right. That being said, open up to Psalm, the 119th Psalm. We'll get there in just a moment. And I'm going to put something up here on the screen, and many of you probably will not recognize this logo. One does. Two, three. Bill Jones would if he was here. I do, so there's probably like five to seven of us who recognize that logo, okay? That logo is the logo of a golf club in Augusta, Georgia, that is holding the biggest golf tournament, really, of the year, every year, this weekend. I've watched countless hours this weekend, either live or recorded or streamed over the Internet, because I love watching this tournament. James is, in fact, there right now. He got to see it with his own eyes for the first time. That doesn't appeal to you at all. That got none of your attention whatsoever unless you care about the game of golf. And guess what? Golf doesn't care. This might get your attention a little more. This right here is a baseball most of us at least recognize a baseball. We also have probably heard over time in this country this phrase, this was America's pastime. Because everybody in America for 162 days, used to not quite be that long, about 140 something, but 162 days, you had your baseball team to watch. And you listened to it on the radio because the TV wasn't around, but the playoffs came around and you sat there on your black and white TV and you watched it and America rallied around it. But there's a complaint about baseball today. Is that it is too boring. There's not enough action that's going on. It's too slow. If the games take three hours and so on, who's got three hours to sit there and watch? And so because of it being boring and because of it being slow, kids are no longer interested in baseball. They're now interested in lacrosse. They're now interested in soccer. And no one watches baseball anymore that are teenagers. And that bothers baseball. Because it's no longer America's pastime, it's America's not even thought. Unless you care about baseball. I say, what in the world are you talking about? 
Well, you see, here's what happens. The things that you get your attention or get my attention, it holds our attention. But things in which it doesn't grab your attention, so no one wants to sit there and watch some guys stand in place where seven of them do nothing on a given play. They just stand in there. Nobody wants to watch that. Michael wants to watch that. I want to watch that. Ed wants to watch that. But the kids don't want to watch it. And the question is, if a kid picked up his phone, the thing in which he cared most about, and he had to go to church at 4 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, what he would do is he would probably text this to his friends, the emoji of a church building, and uh, I'm so bored, I'm sleeping. And is that the way it is? Look around the room. Do you see a lot of young people here? This morning, you saw a lot of young people, didn't you? Tonight, you don't see a lot of young people. Is that a problem? Baseball sees it as a problem. Golf doesn't care. Is it a problem? I'm going to ask three questions tonight. And I'm going to have more questions than I have answers for you. What I want you to do is I really want you to consider this idea is, is it a problem? First question I want you to ask, and I'm going to ask you is, are we losing our young people? And you say, Wes, why are you preaching this sermon on a Sunday night when there aren't young people here? Well, because guess how the, the Bible uses the term young people? Up to people about 40 years old. And so if we change that number a little bit, and we don't think just about teenagers, and we don't just think about college kids, you got a few more who fit into that younger category who could have some kind of impact on those who are actually very young in their life. So I wanted this to be directed towards the older and also those that are in the younger category but may not consider themselves or most be considered as this. So again, the question is, you're losing your young people. Well, how would you even determine that? Do you base that upon whether someone is sitting in a pew? If that's the determining factor, then you make the call. But is that the way that that God would determine if you've lost young people? If you've lost their attention, do they get brownie points? And I I, I don't remember if it was Michael. I think it was Michael this morning when the question about the Lord's Supper. If I haven't repented, am I supposed to take the Lord's Supper? Well, you can come be sitting in the pew all day long, right? And he pointed that out. So it can't be a barometer of just a young person is sitting in the pew that makes them... Not lost, does it? That's not the factor. So what might be? Now, I'm not going to go into everything tonight. I'm going to use one passage in Psalm 119 to really hit home with this. And I want you to ask yourself this question as I read beginning in verse 9. Does this describe me? I put on the board, does it describe us? Because I asked the question, are we losing our young people? 
But does this describe me if I fall into this category of young people? Or as I would make a comment about the young people. Notice what he says in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? He answers it. By keeping it according to your word. And I'm going to stop there for a second. We sing the song. How shall the young secure their hearts and guard their lives from sin? I'm going to use these, these verses here to show us that there is an attitude that is behind this person who cares about their way being pure. There is a person that actually cares how they live their life. And that's how a person keeps himself pure. So consider here in verse 10. The psalmist writes, and maybe it's David, maybe it's another psalmist. We don't have a record of that, but it's the psalmist. And he says, with all my heart I sought you, speaking to the Lord, and do not let me wander or err from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. And blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. And with my lips I have told of all the ordinance of your mouth, and I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies, as much as in all riches. And I will meditate on your precepts, and regard your ways. And I shall delight in your statutes, I shall not forget your word. What if a young person is thinking like this psalmist? What would we say about their way of life? What would we say about their conduct? Would we say they are lost or we're losing them? Or would we say, man, these people, they've got it going. They are getting closer and closer to the Lord because notice some of the things that enumerates, right? Look there in verse 9, the first one. He's keeping his way by God's Word. The way in which he lives his life is directed by what God says he should do in his life. Well, a person that cares about that, what's going to be their course of life? They're going to walk, as we would see Jesus say, the straight and the narrow, the difficult path. They're going to walk down that route. Because they want to go that way. Or in verse 10 here, I have sought you with my whole heart. A person that is interested in seeking God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength, guess what? They're going to follow God. They're going to follow in His paths. Or verse 11, Your Word... I treasured in my heart. You stored it up. What kind of things do we store up that we want a lot of? We want a lot of money. We want a lot of wisdom. We want a lot of cars. We want a lot of stuff. TVs, whatever the case may be. He says, I've stored up your word in my heart. What do you do with with the treasures that you have? This is the word, you treasured it. Oftentimes we put a a lock and key on it, don't we? Or we put some kind of a combination so no one can go in and no one can take that out. Whether it's a lock box at the bank, whether it's a chest at home, there's some kind of lock on it so no one gets it out. 
and you stored it up because it is of value to you so that no one will take it away. But notice why you put it in your heart or why the psalmist says he put it in his heart. So I might not sin against you. There's this very personal recognition of God and His words are so important that He doesn't want to wander from them in verse 10 or err from them. You ever got, and we're using the term lost for a second, you ever got actually lost on foot? Where you were walking maybe in the woods or you were walking... Uh, somewhere in a neighborhood or in New York City or something like that and you got lost, you didn't know where in the world you were going and you're in the woods and you can't pull up your, your cell phone and get your GPS location because you got no signal and you've lost the path and the sun is sinking and if you've ever been in that situation it is a semi-hopeless situation because you don't know how you're ever going to get And that's why he says in verse 10, I've sought you so that that doesn't happen. I've gone after you because I know if I go after you, you dwell in marvelous light. You've called me out of darkness into your light. All of those types of phrases. I've gone after you because I know if I'm there with you, good things happen. There is a way to live, or as verse 105-ish of this book says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So I've treasured it. I've stored it up. But verse 2, notice this desire. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Would we describe young people today as a people who want to be taught? No. Most young people do not want to be taught. They think they know it all. I think I know it all. But here the psalmist says, the young man that desires to be taught by the Lord, guess what the Lord will do? Teach him. And you know what we call that? We call that a disciple. Someone who is willing to be taught and follow what they are taught, and they want that. They're not satisfied with what they have. They're not satisfied with what they know. They want to know more because they see the value in God and in His Word. So when good things happen, verse 13, with my lips I told of all your ordinances of my mouth. The word there, I told, enumerated. The idea is you went and you told everybody about it. You learn something, and you go and you said all of these good things, all these things that you learned, all of these laws that you now know about that maybe somebody else didn't, because you treasure it. Because you wanted it. Not because someone came over you and said, you need this. As the question was this morning, how do I help someone know that they need to repent? That's somebody who desires it for somebody else while the other person doesn't have that desire. They're not telling about all these good things. But verse 14, here's another characteristic. I've rejoiced in the way of your testimony. When you give me laws, I rejoice in it. I take joy in what you say 
more than in all riches. No matter how much money I can get, no matter how well off I am, I get more joy from your commands, from your ordinances. Would you say that's young people today? No. More times than not, what the emphasis is, is you go and you get your riches. You go and you get your schooling and your learning and all of these things. And God is just kind of back there. Hey, if you've got time, work, work it in today. Just make sure you say your prayers. Make sure you thank God for your food. All of those types of things. But notice what this young person is doing in verse 15. I will meditate on your precept. How many kids do you think are stopping, slowing down their day, and they're just really dwelling on God's laws? Not many, is it? But notice the next one. And this ties into our Hebrew study. And they regard and regard your ways or look on your ways, I think some of your translations will say. But maybe another way to say it is pay attention to your ways. And we talked about that on Wednesday night, about how Jesus is the Son of God. And He is greater than the angels. And how much we must give much closer attention lest we drift away. And we saw that that meant to float by because you weren't looking for it. But what you have here is you have a young person who is looking for God. He's looking for the ways in which God is saying. So when he's coming to that fork in the road, he's looking, God, which way do I go? And he goes that way because that is important to him. And so verse 16 I will delight in your statutes. That's what I enjoy. That's what I like. That's what tastes good to me. And I won't forget your word. I don't know about you, but I forget a lot of things. I forget appointments. I forget things to mail. I forget checks to write. I forget people to call like nonstop. That's just me. I forget. But for some reason, I have an ability to remember things that I read. And people are always like, well, how do you know that? And the answer is, I have no idea. Like, how do you, how do you know that verse is there? I have no idea. I think maybe it's because at one point I did treasure those things up. Learn them as a kid. You were taught all these memory verses. You learn it, and boom, it's there because kids have sponges for their brains. They may remember stats. They may remember crazy other statistics, things in which you're like, why do you even remember that? Or they remember what you wore on a certain day? Like, that doesn't matter. Who cares about all of that? But you don't forget the things that matter most to you. Do You know why I forget to maybe write my check to Montclair Radiology? Because I don't really want to pay the $100 bill for x-rays. And so it's not important to me. And so they get sent the second reminder. Here's a friendly reminder. Oh yeah, I need to do that. 
So then you do it because thankfully they accept bills online. But you don't forget people's birthdays that are important to you. Unless you're me. A couple weeks ago, I was driving down the road and I said, man, it's getting close to my nephew's birthday. My nephew's birthday was four days before that. That's terrible, right? Shows it wasn't important to me. Now, granted, sometimes you just can't remember the things that you once knew. Lord, if he was never in there. And it was like, as he says here, I stored up your word in my heart. I, I gathered all that I could. I gathered it more than I could. All the riches of the earth. I sought you. I sought your words more than that. And I locked it up. It's going to take a lot for me to forget that. It's going to take me not wanting to until I'm no longer probably a young person. Because the things will come back and go, well, how did I even know that? Because it was in there. And the question back to it is, would that describe me if I'm a young person? That definitely doesn't describe our generation, does it? And would it describe our young people so let's say we got all these young people and they've come through the doors and they've sat on the pews and maybe they were even here a few hours ago. But this doesn't describe us. This doesn't describe them. What might draw them away as we think about our second question? If you think about these things, what might draw them away? Well, think about it. What's he mentioned here several times? Riches, treasures. How many of us are so concerned about making the most money we can? Gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, get it, get it, get it. All right. I fall into that. And so we get caught up in seeking the exact same things that the world goes after. The ambitions of the world, right? So they want all of this money. They want the perfect Family, right? Got to have the husband, the wife. Or they want these other ambitions of things. I got to have my third house here. And I've got to have all of these various types of things. And so that becomes the driving force. That becomes the thing that is most sought after. So if I'm going to have that third house when I'm 60 years old and I'm ready to retire, okay, I got to, you know? And so you work towards that. And you have that plan in your mind of this is what I want now. And you work towards it. You go after it. Well, how do you go after that more than you go after the Word? Well, maybe I just don't really care anymore. I don't care what God says about that. I don't care how God tells me to use my money. I don't care what I'm supposed to go after. I don't care if I'm rich in this world that I need to be ready to share. I don't care if I'm rich in this world that I don't need to trust on the uncertainty of riches. Like, I'm always going to have it. I'm always going to have work. I've got skills. I've got whatever. And so we get comfortable in all those things. And so let me mass it all up so I can be comfortable, I can be safe. And so we say, kids... You go out there and you get the best paying job you can. No matter what. 
That happens. What else might you go after? Go after these things. Consider verse 14 and verse 15. The things that you take joy in. The things that you think about. Well, the philosophies of the world. The everyone is okay. You've got your way. I've got my way. And are our kids not going to hear that? Everybody's okay. There is no such thing as truth. There is no such thing as right. There is no such thing as wrong. And guess what? We began to think about that. And that begins to creep into our thinking and our hearts. And no longer do we care about what God says about it. We just care about how I feel about it. And if how I feel about it happens to coincide with what God says about it, then I take joy in that. But really what I take joy in is me being right. Me getting my way. Me and my selfish attitudes. Well, that's not rejoicing in what God has to say. That's not dwelling on His precepts as we had read for us last Sunday night. If anything is trustworthy, if anything is praiseworthy, right? If anything is of good report, noble mind, all those things... Dwell on these things. But, as was alluded to this morning, I'm dwelling on the adultery that is put in the movies and TV. And I'm dwelling on the sexual immorality. And I'm dwelling on the drugs and the alcohol and all of that kind of stuff. And that's what I think about because that's what I'm listening to and that's what I'm watching hour after hour after hour. And so guess what happens when you start doing things hour after hour after hour? I've been dreaming about that golf course that I've been watching for hour after hour after hour. Because I've been thinking about it. And when you think about things, that's when it reminds you. That's when you remember because you put some effort into it. But someone told me yesterday in a Bible study, so I grew up going to church, grew up all of this, and for the first time in my life, eight months ago, I began reading my Bible. person is nearly 40 years old. That's not uncommon. That's because what we have conditioned ourselves to is not the person who desires, not the person who delights not the person who pays attention to God's way, but the person who comes, sits, participates in class, and we give them a star of approval because they were here and they didn't misbehave. And so guess what that fosters? That fosters kids and that fosters young people that the only thing that matters is whether or not they're here. And that's not what the psalmist says it's about. It's about going after and seeking God. you got all these other things that will draw them away. So the question is, third question and final question, what's going to draw them back? What will draw them in? We read that passage in Mark chapter 8 there. A lot of times, churches will use the food to draw people in. We're going to have, we're going to have some food. We're going to have a carnival. We're going to have something. And that will get folks in. 
You know what that gets people there for? The food, the carnival. That just don't happen. You can get people in there all day long. In fact, not too long ago, passing out some flyers, a guy asked me, said, hey, are you guys giving out food? I said, no. He said, well, if you gave out food, more of us would be there. I said, yeah, I know that. No, but we're not trying to give out food. Trying to give God's Word. And you think about that, you say, what's going to draw somebody into some kind of sports? And this is what they do when these sports or a TV show, they don't have anybody that they can really hang their hat on. What they need to draw people in is a star. Someone that gets the attention. Someone that demands attention. And so in sports it may be an athlete. In movies it may be an actor. You're not going to watch some movie unless you just really care about movies with no-name actors. But if you hear about a movie that's got your favorite actor in it, Guess what you're doing? You're watching that movie. Because they draw you to it. So who in the world's the star? The preacher's the star, right? You get a good preacher, and the young people will, they'll get right on into it. They'll love Jesus, they'll love God, and they'll do exactly what they're supposed to do. Because they're going to be drawn to that preacher. That's the star, right? No, it's not the star. Who do you think the star is? I'm going to say it's Jesus. You think about that from Matthew chapter 2. You might want to turn to that passage. You might be saying, why in the world are you saying Matthew chapter 2? If you know it's in Matthew chapter 2, you're saying, ain't nothing about no star there. Well, actually there is, right? Remember when Jesus was born? With those wise men from afar, they saw in the sky, verse 2, they said, When they got to Jerusalem, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. I really wonder what that star looked like. I really wonder if it was so bright and stood out so differently from all the other stars that they saw, that they were like, oh, that's got to be something different. But whatever the case it is, they knew whose star it was, didn't they? It was the king of the Jews. And they came from afar to do what? To worship him. They didn't come from afar to hang out with. They came from afar to worship that king. And Jesus said something very similar of it himself in John the 12th chapter. When he's asking to be glorified... And he says, Father, I've glorified your name on the earth and all these different types of things. And the statement was made about the death that he would suffer in verse 32. He said, I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. There's your magnet. There's your star. The one in which if you've ever come in contact with the star, and you got to know the star. You're going to pay attention to every movie that he's in. You're going to follow it. I've got a, I've got a, a guy here in Glen Ridge. He is an actor. And I remember watching the TV show. And so I had seen him at, at the coffee shop a lot. We talked back and forth because he and his wife, uh, they're football fans. And so we talk about that. 
And one day I'm watching the TV show, and boom, there he is on TV. I was like, who is an actor? Just didn't know he was in anything like this. So guess what I did? I looked at his IMDb page, which is a database for all the movies and TV shows that he's in, so that I could go and watch all of those movies. For the record, we're now pretty good friends. And so I watch everything that he's in. Because to me, he's a star. I'm drawn to those movies. But for a kid or for a young person who has never given Jesus a chance, or who has never got to know Jesus, but has only been this Jesus. When things are boring, when things are long, when things are slow, why would it get their attention? The answer is, it would It would be just like a golf tournament that doesn't have a star in it in the final. No one watches it. Or a baseball game that doesn't have any star in it. Nobody watches it unless you're crazy about it. But once you find the star, you follow them, whatever team, whatever event they're on. You get kids that are interested in Jesus. Guess what? They'll follow. Guess what? They'll lead. And guess what? They'll be around. So how do they do it? All Scripture, given by inspiration of God. But you notice, you remember the phrase that was done right before in 2 Timothy chapter 3 as we close out. Oftentimes I think we get this a little backwards. I think oftentimes we think that example is the most important thing. That we got to have somebody show people how to live. we got to have somebody that's doing it the right way. And while that is helpful, and that is exactly what Christians should do, as you would see in verse 10 of 2 Timothy 3, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Now you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering. You followed me in that. You saw all of that, Timothy. But go down now to verse 14. You, however... Continue in the things that you have learned. And the things that you've been convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them. And from, and here it is, childhood, you've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. If you don't have And if you don't believe that what you heard is true, and you're not convinced of it, and you don't go to it and you don't read it as verse 16 says, all Scripture is breathed out by God, how are you ever going to learn about how great Jesus is? You're not. Because 25 minutes or 35 minutes in a sermon and maybe 45 minutes in a class is not going to get your And it sure ain't going to get some kid who has cared about his cell phone or his video game or his sporting event or his job's attention. But only the people who desire Jesus, desire God more than anything else, will they
Our job is not to... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Coddle. That would be a good word. Lower the standard. Our job is to teach people about Jesus and hope that their heart is one that cares about Jesus. That's all you can do. Lead in that way. Draw them to Jesus. Let's help our young people out. In any way this evening, we'd ask that you come now and stand.